Thank you, Jerry. That's perhaps one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture in the New Testament. Appreciate that. Let's pray together. Father, you are um, just a treasure of wisdom and truth and holiness. And so, Father, we want to be in constant fellowship with you as, uh, as Paul exhorted us so that your character will take shape in our souls. We ask for the grace um, to be people of gratitude, thankful people, uncomplaining people. Father, we ask for grace to uh, patiently wait for your answer when we plead and when we ask. We ask for courage that when we are suffering or when we are under threat, we ask for your grace to give us endurance to finish well. We ask your grace to prepare us for things that lie ahead that take us off guard and, some, and things that, that threats that may be slowly creeping up. We ask for grace to walk in truth, to speak truth, to tell the truth with love. We ask for your grace in order to treat people fairly and with justice. That you put the brake on us making any kind of hasty judgments or put the brake on a hasty speech that we might regret later. Give us the grace to forgive the tenderness with those who may be under our authority and respect for those who are in authority over us. Father, we pray that we never, ever as the hymn says, outlive our love for you. So, Father, we ask you this morning to quiet our minds and quiet our souls so that we may rejoice in your presence and your mercy. Father, relieve us of the anxiety over the things that uh, seem to take over our consciousness. And, Father, help us to live to reveal your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the last of our series on um, uh, what Christianity, why Christianity makes sense. And we've looked at um, uh, some virtues or some values that I think are, are, are common to all people. And that these values uh, that, that, uh, are, that we long for, uh, if, the, if the world that doesn't know Christ long for these same values, it's because one, they had the image of God, and two, they have learned from Christians, what these things, why these things are important, uh, of justice and, and freedom and truth and love and spirituality and all the rest, that these are things we long for, but they also point to our brokenness as well, because they just all seem out of reach. And what I tried to do last week was just was say that, that they're really not as out of reach as we think they are. They are actually reachable. We can reach them, not perfected, not in perfection, in this time, as we, wait the, as we wait the coming of Christ, but we can, they are more touchable than we think they are, and we can reach them, and that is probably our job. I don't know of a better way to describe the Christian character and the Christian vocation than Peter's use of the word, the royal priesthood. Uh, that just puts it together, the, those two together, and I don't know of a description that's better of the royal priesthood than the passage that Jerry read this morning, Colossians chapter 3. It just describes us. Uh, the royal priesthood, I've tried to, ex tried to explain that it's kind of a dual, dual uh, uh, position. 
that we are, it is uh, conjoined twins, so to speak, of mission and worship. You have the royal and you have the priesthood, the priesthood for worship, and the royal is to serve the one and true rightful Lord of this planet, and that is Jesus Christ. And these, these uh, dual missions, these dual parts of the royal priesthood have that one heart, that one heart that loves God and loves the world that God created. So that's where we, that's where we are this morning. And um, so we are talking about finishing up mending our values, mending these values, and basically it means just living Jesus in public. And we're going to talk about some habits to do that. And last week I raised three questions. Why does life work, the life work of royal priesthood mean? What does that mean? What does the life work, instead of calling it a vocation, I've, I thought life work to me captures the idea better. That this is a life work regardless of our occupation, regardless of our position economically, socially, whatever. It is a life work as the follower of Jesus, the royal priesthood. What does that mean? How does the life work of royal priesthood engage in the wider world? And what are the particular habits that can generate and sustain this life work of the royal priesthood? I tried to answer number one last week, and uh, this week we're going to look at, at uh, the, the next two questions. Uh, I don't know, th this week was the start of football season. Uh, I don't know if you, anybody watched the Cowboy game. I, I guess the other team was playing too. Uh, the Buccaneers were playing on Thursday night, and uh, it was an exciting game, and it was heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, the Cowboys were down, they drove down to the field, they kicked the field goal, and they were ahead by one point with a minute ten left in the game. And so they kicked off, the Buccaneers received, and they marched down the field, and with five seconds left in the game, they kicked the winning field goal and win by two points. Curse you, Tom Brady. <laughs> Glad I got that off my chest. The guy's 44 years old. What's he doing on the football field? It's like, he ought to be retired by now. Well, let's just say there's another football story coming. Um, Duffy Daughtery was, the, was the, uh, the coach of the Michigan State Spartans, and uh, there was one game in particular that I caught my eye several years ago, and I made note of it because I thought it was kind of important. And uh, it, was a, it was the same kind of situation where they marched down in the final seconds of the game, they kicked a field goal and won the game. But what was odd about that field goal was the kicker kicked the field goal, and as soon as he kicked it, he turned around and stared at the referee behind him to watch him. And of course, the referee made the sign that it was good. And uh, people asked the coach after the game, what was he doing? People thought he was being arrogant that he was being all kind of snooty. They just looked at the referee, you know, like, hey, what is a piece of cake? And he goes, no, that wasn't it at all. It's just that he lost his contacts during the game. And he couldn't see. He couldn't see a thing. So he didn't know whether he made it or not. So he was looking at the referee to see if he even made it or not. And then they asked him, well, then how did he do that? And, he, and the coach, a daughter, he said, well, for one thing, he knows that the goalposts never move. They're stationary. They're there. He doesn't need to see them, okay? They're, they're there. The only thing that moves are the, are the players and the ball itself. And so he just pays attention to what he's doing right there in front of his feet. And then the second thing is he has done this thousands of times. He went out there and did what he's practiced over and over and over and over again. Kicking that field goal was second nature to him. Just he did it. And then he had to turn around and see make sure he made it. 
And I thought, what? And I, I, I made note of that because I thought, that is the Christian life. That we, the goal does not move. It's, it's there. It's, it's, the gospel of Jesus is, is there. And then just to work, practice over and over and over again things that just become second nature to us. That just become part of who we are. And so we're going to finish up with just this, that I think that, that living this royal priesthood is our second nature. It should be our second nature. It's just who we are. Because we've been changed and we've been transformed by that. And so we are going to look at how does this engage the world? How does this life work engage the world? How do we take that heart where it's completely in love with God, but also love the world that God created? And it becomes second nature. Uh, the Stoics, the pagans, they had these great ideals, and they were fine, they're good ideas, but the difference is that they were beyond reach. They can't reach them. They have things that maybe they can shoot for, but they can't acquire this second nature. This second nature is acquired because of the grace of God. That's what's required. And Colossians and Paul says that we have died to ourselves, we've died to the old nature to look for the new. And so when we talk about the grace of God and we talk about the Holy Spirit, this is not just, I want to say two things about this. First of all, it's not just an add-on. It's not just the grace of God, uh, the Holy Spirit is just topping our, our, our iced tea off. You know? It's not just making the coffee a little warmer. Okay? The second thing I want to say about this is that to do this, the old self has to die. The old nature has to die to put something new. And I don't mean that our personalities die or that we die. What he's talking about here is a death and resurrection. He's talking about a death of our old nature to rise again in our, old, in our new self. Thomas Merton calls this the false self and the real self, the true self. And he says the true self is that image of God that's been stamped on every single one of us. That is the true self. He said it's the false self that goes chasing after idols. That that's where we get into trouble. And this needs to die and rise again. And we become truly who we are. Not someone else, not robots, not, not machines, but we become who we truly are and who we were truly meant to be. That this image is who we are supposed to be. That's who we are, and there's a death and resurrection. And God does his restoring work. And in order for us to engage in the world, it's got to be done in us before it can be done through us. Uh, Howard Hendricks used to always say, you cannot give what you do not have. And we have to be, have that done through us, in us before we can do anything through us. And I'm not talking about some self-centered you know, holiness where we, we are all prideful and thinking about, you know, gee, I'm so, I'm, so, uh, re, I'm so wonderful and holy. We're talking about a job to do, and that is to reveal the glory of God in the world. That is our task. That is our job to do, to reveal the glory of God in the world. That's what the priesthood does. John Wayne, uh, John Wayne said this, I've played the kind of man I'd have liked to have been. Isn't that one of the saddest things? 
I saw that quote one time years ago, and I thought, boy, I do not want to get to the end of my life and say I, I was in front of church pretending who I wanted to be. And that's what the gospel is calling us to do. That he's calling us to transform us, to actually become the people that we want to be, that God wants us to be, and not pretending, and not playing a role. Now, we can't all do these things individually. We can't all, you know, I, we can't, I can't have a perfect balance of justice and, and freedom and truth and spirituality and power and love and, and uh, beauty and all this stuff. I can't do all that perfectly. And even as one church, we can't do all of that either together. But that is the job of the global church. Hopefully the global church can do that. I, I still think about, about my the, the, the internship I did in Haiti and meeting some people in the central part of Haiti in the drought sections of the area and uh, meeting a, a group of people there and how the, how the communists had come in, this is in the 80s, had come in to do water projects. We'll do water projects for you. We'll construct all these things. And they go, well, the Christians have already done that. The global church can do this. We can't do everything, but we can do that part. We can't do it all at once, but we can be part of this. And I think when, when Paul is actually instructing Titus in chapter 3 to practice being good citizens because it will reveal the glory of God in the society. And I think, I think about that, especially with the COVID and stuff, this is something we've got to, to deal with, to practice being good citizens. And that means celebrating what needs to be celebrated and grieving what is really sad. I mean, we just came off the 20th anniversary of September 11th attacks, and we grieve with our society in that, and we grieve with, what, with them. But we cannot reveal the glory of God if the church stands aloof. If the church separates into its own little bubble, we cannot reveal the glory of God in the world by doing that. We can't reveal the glory of God by constantly criticizing and throwing stones at stuff, even, even some of the good things that are done in the secular world, and call it unchristian, unspiritual, or, or just trash. Now, there is a lot of trash in the world, no doubt about it. But we're here to reveal the glory of God. We've been talking in the elders meeting about the, this book that we're, we're working through, and... and being this faithful presence in our society that we are now a minority, that Christians are a minority. I mean, it's possible that we've always been. It's nothing unusual. But what does that mean to be a minority in another culture? It means we've got to learn to think like a missionary. And it would have been horrible. It was drummed into us if we had gone to Latin America and forgot that we were guests there and did nothing but criticize the Mexican culture. How far do you think we would get doing that? We can't do that now anymore. We are guests in a, in a manner of speaking. I know this is our home, but we are, we are guests in a manner of speaking. And our job is to reveal the glory of God in the society where we find ourselves, in the corner of the, in the, corner of the world where God has placed us. That is our job as the royal priesthood. And our greatest virtue, our greatest 
weapon, maybe we could say, is Christ-like love, is the generous creativity of the God who loved us. That is our greatest weapon, if we want to say it that way. And we can form habits, habits that, that, when, when, that we look out outside of ourselves, that we are ready when something happens, that we can rejoice when people are rejoicing, and we can grieve when things, are, when things, need, to be grieved, when things need to be grieved. Uh, we are eager for the opportunity to bring comfort, hope, and healing to a situation, whether it's in our church or whether it's outside our church. That's what we do. That's revealing, revealing the glory of God in our society. It's basically living Jesus in public. That's our job as a royal priesthood. And that's how we can get these, these values that truly are in reach, that they're not lost causes, that there really can be justice, there really can be freedom, there really can be truth, there really can be a meeting of the, of the material and the spiritual. There really is a way to, to, to humanize power and not abuse it. There really is a way for beauty to touch our hearts and to move us to tears almost. There really is a way to do that. And the values have to be, start to be mended and to become second nature. And I mentioned that last week when, when Jesus met the rich young ruler, he didn't give him another list of, of laws and things to obey. What he did was give him a lifestyle change that would reflect the generous love of God. And, and we talked about the Chelsea Sullenberger, remember who landed the plane, who, who did it because he had practiced 10,000s of hours to do that, the decisions and choices his whole life, and he did it as second nature. We talk about the field goal kicker who made the field goal because he did it as second nature. We live as, as Jesus in public because it's our second nature. It's just things we do. Things we do. So, there are some habits. And just want to run through these as we, as we um, finish up the series here. This is a circle of habits for the royal priesthood. And I've presented this in other ways in other times, but this, we can look at it a different way, of scripture, stories, examples, community, and practice. And uh, you, may look at the, you may look at the circle and say, well, uh, where's God in all this? Well, God's in all of it. He's presupposed, okay? The triune God is active in every single one of these things, okay? So don't think that I just happen to leave out God and it's all on our own. That's not it at all. We are creating space for God to work. And the first area, of course, is scripture. And in scripture, we, we, we soak in it, we read it, we study it, we pray it, we sing it. We just soak in the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> there, we have to realize that, this, that the scriptures requires an, a mind ready to be changed. We want to learn, we want to be ready. We can't just magically read it and think it's going to happen. We have to realize also when we read the scriptures that it's, a, it's one plot with lots of twists and turns, but basically the story is about heaven and earth coming together. Basically, that's the whole story of redeeming creation. That's the whole story. And yes, it comes back with ups and downs and, and different plots, but it's got one open plot. And some people may like to, like to, to uh, you know, drink it with one big gulp, like a big you know, glass of iced tea. Other people maybe like to sip it like, like hot tea. But either way, we've got to soak in it, we've got to pray it, we've got to change it. And we, and we, I mean, we, not, we have to be changed by it. 
uh, that's the whole point. The scripture convicts us is not to make us smarter simmer, sinners, but to change us. That's why we read it. That's why we study it. That's why we use it. And, and the stories <clears throat> that we have out of it, which is the next, we listen to the stories. We are trained to love stories and listen to stories. We like the plot. We like the, 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 the uh, conflict and then the resolution. We want to know how it ends. And we can't take the Bible as just different parts and different pieces. We have to see that it is a stories. Now, there are some stories that we need to emulate, but there are some stories that aren't nice. There aren't nice stories. And we learn from those as well. The story, the parable of, of Jesus and the landowner who sent, his, sent the servants to collect the rent, and they beat them up and, you know, sent them back, and then finally goes, well, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him, and then they end up killing him. That's not a very nice story. But we learn from that. It's got lots of, lots of stories of good stories and, 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 and not so nice stories. But not just stories in the scriptures, stories around us. I mean, I, I happen to believe that, that uh, stories that are written by atheists or stories that are written maybe even to dismiss God or even mock God, we can learn from these. We can learn what the human, human condition is and learn what human nature is and how to respond. Plus, I just like reading them. <laughs> I just like reading these stories. I just finished this great one on Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and it's just really fascinating to see how humans work and how they think. And these are things that are valuable for us. And the Bible stories are there to show us and to teach us all the ups and downs. And we find people in moral ambiguities just like us. We find people morally compromised just like us. We find people that are, that are the characters with character flaws just like us. The whole story is about God and the world and how God and world relate to each other and how people find themselves caught in that crossfire. And so we learn from these stories and we, and we enjoy the stories, but we also see what the stories teach us about humanity. And then there's also examples. There are biblical examples. There's nobody in the Bible that we, should Im that we should imitate completely with the exception of Jesus Christ. All the stories that we see, all the examples we read in the Bible, they have good things to follow, but nobody is one form template. Of this is how we're supposed to be. There are bad examples, and I think a, a, a Japheth, you know, that's, the, that's one of those stories in the Bible that people read and think that, uh, were we supposed to do this? This is a story in Judges where... Uh, Japheth says, well, God answered my prayer, so I will sacrifice whatever I see first. And what does he see first? His daughter. And I've had people come to me and say, what do we do with this story? I said, what do you think we ought to do with it? That's a horrible story. Don't follow that. God's not pleased with that. Just because it's there doesn't mean this is what God's teaching. It means we are a broken humanity. And we twist things around all the time. Don't follow that. There's all kinds of examples. Esau is not a good example. Jacob is a exam good example some of the time. Jacob the heel grabber, remember? He's the deceiver. But Mar Madeline Engel wrote a, wrote a book on Jacob. And she says that, that sometimes, there are sometimes where Jacob so delighted in God that he was sometimes delightful himself. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty good, I think, you know, that I could delight in God so much that every now and then maybe I'm a delightful person by delighting in God. 
So we have examples, and we've all got examples in our own life, too. We've got examples that we grew up with. I mean, I, the first person that comes to my mind, a couple people come to my mind. I've had lots of people who are examples for me, and I'm sure you have, too. And I think of my youth pastor, Bill Peel, uh, who took time to get to know this skinny kid in high school and spend time with him and disciple him. Important in my life. I think of Walt Baker, who, who pushed us onto the mission field and uh, always blamed him for getting us into this mess, you know. But one of our mentors, who I just absolutely love, uh, people who challenge us to be a better person, people who have challenged me to be a better man, I married one. These are the people who are examples to us in community. And none of these things are out of context. They are all take place in community. And I know community, the word community, has been trivialized and abused, and I, I really feel bad about that, but there's really not a better word for it. The point is that we are not alone. That in order to become whole, and become a complete uh, royal priesthood, we need the community. We have to realize the community to, to sharpen us, to get rid of our biases sometime, uh, to challenge us, to, to help us look around a little bit. Uh, it's, and also just to realize that it's not totally up to me. That it doesn't always have to depend on me. But it also helps us because we don't pretend. We can't pretend. If we're around people long enough, we stop pretending. Pretending to manifest these fruits of the Spirit, of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things, we can pretend that, but sooner or later we get called out. Pretending is not the same thing as working on them. Bob Hope said that, um, he says, uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, now I forgot the word. A sincerity, sorry about that. He says, uh, sincerity is everything. He says, if you, can, if you can fake that, you've got it made. You can fake sincerity, it's all good. But we can't pretend, not in, not in the group. This is where we need the community. And I'm, I'm talking about the entire family of God. I'm talking about globally. I'm talking about the family of God that goes all the way back to Abraham. I'm talking about our local congregation. I'm talking about our little small group, our good friends, or, or small group Bible study. where we, All this it means that we do this together. This is where we practice faith, hope, and love. This is where we practice the sacraments. And that leads us to the last one, the practices. Practices as a, as a community, uh, the Lord's Supper, practices of baptism, confession, something that we Protestants don't do very well, practices, spiritual practices in ourselves, in our private life of meditation and contemplation, of fasting, of service, these practices that we do so that when we come to church, our heart's already prepared for that. When we open up the scriptures to read, we are by default saying, Lord, here I am. I'm listening. When we come here this morning, we say, Lord, here I am. I'm here to declare your resurrection. I'm here to declare your grace. I am your servant. I'm listening. These practices help us to become habits. These become habits in our life to become royal priesthood just by second nature. 
And by doing that, we're actually anticipating the world to come. We're actually bringing the future to the present. And these values are within reach, are within reach that we can, we can touch them and we can see them, we can see the examples. This is a habit. I know that habits can happen without virtue, but virtue cannot happen without habits. We do have to be intentional. Uh, this doesn't mean that we can neglect the habits just because people do habits like, like a machine, but we do them to become the people he wants us to become. And we don't do it just so we can say, boy, what a splendid person I am. Uh, I feel myself growing 10 feet tall every day, and I can take on the world. People who are practicing these habits, they don't have time for that. People who are practicing these habits and are being transformed, they don't have time to talk about how spiritual they are. They're too busy teaching kids in the classes and in super church. They're too busy checking on the old guy that makes sure he has a right home. They're too busy checking on the neighbor to make sure she has groceries or that she's on the list of, of Meals on Wheels just to make sure she's taken care of. Those are the people. These people are too busy uh, mowing the soccer field. <laughs> These people are too busy doing those kinds of things than to talk about how spiritual they've become and how mature they've become. So where do we start? One of the things we need to be careful is that that circle is not some closed-off circle. That circle is so we can break out of it. And you can enter into that circle at any point. You can enter in at Scripture. Some people may enter in because they're suddenly moved with communion. Some people may enter in because they've seen this example in a friend of theirs. Some people may enter in because they had this story or they watched this movie or they read this book and, that, and, that, and it touched them about what's going on inside. You can enter the circle any time or any time you want, any place you want. The point is that you keep going around the circle till the circle itself becomes a habit. And you take it around and around and around and around to scriptures and stories and examples and community and practice. And you do this over and over and over again, and it becomes part. The problem is I get a lot of people who want to do it all at once. There's a, a very talented writer on the spiritual life from India. He's a Jesuit priest named Anthony DeMello, and he says, start with a stone. And he goes on to explain that. He says people want to love nature, and they want to love the world, they want to love people, but they don't know how, it just it seems so overwhelming. And he says, start with a stone. Start with a rock, if you have to. He's talking metaphorically or literally about someone, Dennis would appreciate this. <laughs> you start with a rock, and you appreciate the color, why is it smooth, why is it shaped, what's it made of, what kind of rock is it? You start by loving that and then you graduate to trees and you graduate to mountains and you graduate to people. And he's basically he's saying start with the 1%. <laughs> start with 1% change and move out from there. So you say, oh gosh, this is so overwhelming, I can't do all these things at once. Start with the stone. Start with loving rocks, and it will move out from there. Or insects, or whatever, plants, flowers, whatever. But start there and move out. 
Too many people try to be spiritual before they try to be human. And we need to be human first. And I guarantee once we learn how to be human, we'll have more spirituality than we know what to do with. That we start there. We start with stop slamming doors and start loving a rock or whatever. You start with that, just that 1%, and we will start to mend these values. We will start to mend justice and repair truth and repair spirituality and love and, and, and freedom. And these things will start to prove, start to, to be manifested in our life. We will have, we'll start to treat people fairly. We will have the freedom to serve. We will be able to speak truth and live truth. We will be able to, to uh, understand beauty and maybe create beauty that moves people's hearts. We will be able to see the, the, the meaning of heaven and earth. We will use human power in a humanizing way instead of abusing power, and we will be able to practice sacrificial love. Start with the 1%, and it becomes a second nature. It will become second nature. The circle. My favorite definition of spiritual formation is simply this. Spiritual formation is the process of being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. I bolded those letters because they're important. It is a process. It's not something that falls on your head. It's not something you just do and it works automatically. I have to take uh, cholesterol medicine. It's supposed to lower my cholesterol. Um, I'm not sure how it works. I, um, I, I have this in my mind, uh, a roto-rooter going through my arteries and veins, but I don't know exactly how that works, but it works. I just had a doctor's appointment and then my cholesterol's down, so it works. Well, this is a little bit different. We have to understand what we're doing we have to understand why it works. It's a process of doing these things intentionally in order to be transformed. And it opens up the space for the Spirit to work in our lives. And not just transformed to anything, but transformed into the image of Christ. And it's not self-centered spirituality. It's for the sake of others. It's not navel-gazing. It is vital. It is vital that we start going around and around and around this circle. And so when there's an emergency happens, there's an emergency happens, only then we'll be ready to meet with the word and the truth of grace. Tragedy happens in our church, and only then we'll be ready to say the right words or do the right thing for the people who are suffering the tragedy. Somebody says to you, tell me about Jesus, and it's only then that you will say, let me tell you about Jesus to where it makes sense because we practice and we transform and we transform. Yearning, Colossians talked about learning, yearning for the new, but he also says to get the new, you've got to take off the old. You've got to remove the old. The old has got to die because the old will always be in competition with the new. Just wanting the new is not good enough. The old has to die and get resurrected. Because if not, the old will deny the new, it will criticize the new, it will decry the new, it will, it will 
oppose the new in any, uh, any way possible. The old has to die in order to put on the new. And to me, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. You got to do a lot of things to stay on a bike. Learning to ride a bike is really not that hard if you don't mind falling off every now and then. But once you learn, you know how to do it. It's just something you know, something you know by instinct. And if you're trying to explain to your five-year-old how to do it, you can't. You can't explain it. You just know it. You know it because you are bathed in Jesus Christ. You are participating in him. Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all and in all. And we know it. We can't ever explain it, but we just know it. And we do it because it's second nature. Christ is all and in all. How did we miss this? How did we miss that? It's plain in black and white. He's just inviting us to participate. He's just inviting us to know him in a way that is so intimate that it becomes second nature. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that your spirit is working within us. We're thankful that you have given us the grace to become like you. Father, we want to be more than just machines. We want to be people, humans, who follow you. A better way to be a human being. In the love of Jesus, amen.